2 Kings chapter number 22. No shortage of great kings to read about in the Bible, and no doubt we'll read about one tonight. And uh, it's amazing the Lord records things in the Bible, and uh, there's a part of me that's thankful that uh, I'm, I'm living in the time in which I am, because I wouldn't want the Lord to write down everything about my life, good and bad and ugly. Um, needless to say, I don't think I would be um, depicted as uh, the uh, subject of our sermon tonight in King Josiah. Um, but uh, needless to say, the, he's a great king, and there's some things here in the Bible written about him I want to go over tonight. Let's start in verse number one. The Bible says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedediah, and daughter, the daughter of uh, Adiah, of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, the son of Meshullam, the scribe, to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah uh, the high priest, that he, may sum, uh, that he may sum the silver which is brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people." Uh, scoot down to uh, verse number 8. The Bible says, And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found a book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work uh, that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And verse 11 says, And it came to pass that when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. Now, before we pray, take your Bibles and go over here to Second uh, Kings chapter number 23 and verse number 25. As we read... In, verse, in chapter 22, the, the beginning, if you will, of the uh, reign of King Josiah, we see the synopsis of his, king, uh, of, his, of his kingdom in his time as king. In verse number 25 of chapter 23, and it says, And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, again for just allowing us to be in church tonight. Father, I pray that you would, uh, Lord, bless us as we open up the book and try to embark on, Lord, a couple of things you've placed in my heart this evening. Father, I pray you'd wash me in the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with your Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, I, I offer myself to you now in this hour as best I can. Father, I pray that uh, you would take this nothing and do something here for somebody tonight, Lord. Pray, Lord, that uh, you'd speak to us through the Word of God. May the Holy Spirit have free course amongst us. And, Father, I pray that we'd leave here a little bit better than what we came. We love you tonight, and we ask you to bless this time now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. The story of Josiah is unique in the sense that uh, the Bible tells us that Josiah is special in the, in the sense that there was no king before him and there was no king after him that turned to the Lord the way that Josiah turned to the Lord. 
Now, there's other kings in your Bible that, uh, that are special uh, and things like that, but it amazes me sometimes when I read my Bible that uh, as old as this account is and as, uh, as old as, as uh, 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 of the time of, of this being written, that I can place myself in 2 Kings chapter number 22, and I, it can be just as up-to-date for me in 2023 as it was for King Josiah back here in 2 Kings. It's amazing to me that the Bible is, is like that, it's written like that, that uh, there's nothing that's outdated about it, Amen. that it's 100% current for today. And um, uh, the Bible talks about David and how he was the greatest king the nation of Israel ever had. And he was a great soldier and fought battles. And, of course, he had the heart to uh, build a house for the Lord, but the Lord said he couldn't because he had shed too, mu too much blood. And, uh, but uh, there's no doubt that, that he was a man after God's own heart. Now, listen, I can learn a lot from David, right? And uh, we know that uh, as far as his son is concerned, that uh, Solomon is said to be the wisest. That there was none uh, before Solomon and there was none after Solomon that, were, that was wiser than him. With the wisdom that God gave Solomon to discern good and evil and to lead his people. Um, and uh, we know that there was none like unto Solomon after him. There was only one. There's one of one, if you will. Right? We know that it works on both ends of the spectrum because the Bible tells us that Ahab, it says that there was none like unto Ahab that did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord whom Jezebel his wife stirred up. That there's on both sides of the spectrum, there's like these celebrity kings, <laughs> right? And the Bible says that there's no one that can even measure up to these guys. And I think about even uh, uh, a few kings before Josiah, in King Hezekiah, the Bible says that there was none before or after that trusted God like Hezekiah did in the matter of the Assyrian king coming up and trying to overtake the kingdom out of Hezekiah's hand. He had to trust God in uncertain times. And the Bible says there was nobody like Hezekiah. But the Bible tells us here about King Josiah that there was nobody like him that could take the word of God that was given to him and, and presented to him and then changed his life based on what he read in God's book. I say what? I may not be able to relate to David in the sense that I have a heart that's akin to God's heart. And I don't think I could stand up here and say that I'm the wisest like Solomon. <laughs> Amen. I would have a hard time, I would have a hard time trying to stand up to Hezekiah in the trust factor. I, if I'm being totally honest with you tonight, I'm somewhat of a worrywart. That's just a flaw that I have and I try to work on. But you want to know something? There's something about Josiah that I look and I say, I know I'll never be like Josiah because there's none before him or after him. But man, there's some things about Josiah that I can learn from. Because I, I, I may not be able to do exactly what David and all these other guys did. But man, you know what each and every one of us can, in here can do tonight? We can take the word of God and we can believe it and we can implement it in our lives and it will change every aspect of our life. You understand this? You live in a world now. Andrew said something preaching a little while back and I've stood on it and listened to it. And uh, he said something good. And that was, you know, when we get, to, we get to heaven someday and the saints of old, we look up to them and we think about the martyrs and we think about the prophets and we think about this. And he says, you know what? They're going to be looking at us going, how in the world did y'all make it? You understand that? Because, yeah, the enemy was after, was after their bodies and they gave their bodies to be burned and so on and so forth. There's no lack of accounts of that. But you want to know something? They're not after your body. Yeah. 
There's a good chance that none of us in here will hit heaven being a martyr. You understand that? It's a good chance. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying there's a good chance that neither, none of us in here are going to hit heaven because being martyred for our faith. But you want to know something? The war that's warred against us right now is for your mind. The war that's warred against me and you right now, it's, it's that you are constantly bombarded with information and input and things and wickedness. It's not just wickedness. It's all the things around you. And it's geared to, to destroy how you think. You understand that? This whole world is geared towards taking up every square inch of gray matter in your skull. That's what it's meant for. It's meant to destroy your ability to think. It's meant to destroy your ability to hold your attention. Why do you think it's so hard to preach nowadays? Because it's hard to keep your attention for 45 minutes to an hour. It is. Why do you think TikTok is so popular? 30-second, one-minute videos, that's all they can take. I'm not sitting here meddling tonight on this stuff. I'm going somewhere, so just bear with me. I'm not, I'm not going to be on any hobby horses tonight. But what I'm saying, I was talking to Brother Adam the other night, and you think about the world in which we live in, and you think about the, the dynamic of, of, of the world in which you live in, and guess what? The wickedness is the same kind of wickedness. maybe looks a little bit different and a little bit more outspread and that kind of thing and more socially acceptable. But the thing that's different is that the constant bombardment that you have. And it's always in your face and it's in the palm of your hand 24 hours a day. And you dings. I mean, we we're talking about you could have so, you could have a lost girl in Cincinnati and help here in Dayton. Your phone will go off. If there was an Amber Alert right now, everybody in here would be going, oh, my goodness, my phone, my phone, my phone, my phone. And it sounded like there was a nuclear attack going on. It's like, no, we just somebody misplaced their kid. I'm not saying that Amber Alerts are bad. I'm just saying that you're so connected that something that takes place all the way across the world you know about in seconds with video evidence. You say, what is that? It's bombarding your mind with information. You know what the martyrs had? They had the ability to think. They had the ability to think and muse on the word of God. They had the ability to understand the sacrifice they were making and the things and the stands that they made in the public sphere and they knew what it was going to cost them. You know what we struggle with? Having enough alone time to think about God. Amen. Think about the Word of God. You know, Josiah, it's funny to me because he comes out of uh, two kings before him, although his father was a very short-lived king and was killed. But he comes in a time of horrible wickedness in the nation of Judah. I mean, Manasseh was one of the worst kings Judah ever had. The amount of wickedness that that man brought into that, uh, into that kingdom is, is, is unfathomable. And then uh, uh, Ammon comes in and does the same exact thing and continues in his way and is so bad that they conspire against him and kill him. And it's, it's, so, uh, it's so out of uh, timing that Josiah is eight years old when he takes the throne. He's eight years old. And you know what he is? He's raised in a place where wickedness has run rampant. And religious debauchery is at every turn. And he lives and now he resides as king over a nation that as an eight-year-old boy really doesn't have any leadership. Right? 
But what we see here is that, of course, what he says in the first uh, few verses here is that he, he asked them to go in and, and make inquiry and bring the money and make sure because he sees that there is an importance in cleaning up the house of the Lord. We see that he's off on, a, on the right foot, that he sees that there is some value. He sees that there is some need to take care of the house of the Lord. And he wants to make sure that the folks that are working on that are paid and make sure that the carpenters and the masons and all the people that are doing the work in the house of the Lord are taken care of. And the Bible says that those men dealt faithfully. And no doubt he was on the right track with where he was. And the Bible says it's, that, the, that from eight years old until he was 18, it seems to be that there was a form of godliness in the nation of Judah, but there was no power. Does that sound like maybe something you're used to? <laughs> and it just so happens that as he's making this inquisition or, or, or inquiry, if you will, that uh, the ones that are around him, they find a book in the house of the Lord. What a great place to find a book. Amen. You found God's book in God's house. How about that? And, uh, and then, and then and, and, and even more peculiar, somebody took the time to read it. And not only did someone take the time to go into the house of the Lord, to find the book of the Lord, and then to read the book of the Lord, but then thought that it was important enough to take that book and the contents of that book in which he read, and then take it to the king and present it to him. That tells you a lot about Josiah as an 18-year-old. That tells you that, for one, he saw the importance of the house of God, although he may not have seen the influence of all the things that were going on around him. When this was taking place in Josiah's early reign, as it's said that he's a good king, at the age of 18, there's still groves set up in the house of the Lord. They're still worshiping Baal. They're still offering children to Molech. They're still praying in every high place. There's priests all over uh, the kingdom in Jerusalem, all over the place, worshiping different gods of the, of, the, uh, uh, of the Assyrians and of the Egyptians. Absolute religious debauchery. But there's something about the house of the Lord that Josiah can't shake. He doesn't even quite know what it is. He's a little bit ignorant. And then all of a sudden, as the Lord likes to do, if somebody is open to the truth, the Lord brings them the truth. Amen. Amen. And so these men obviously felt comfortable enough to approach Josiah with this book. He read what was in it. He knew that the contents of that book were extremely negative in regards to the kingdom. And he didn't think that Josiah would order him dead if he brought it to him. So obviously he had an open mind and he had an open heart. And he had an approachable spirit about him to where, hey, I'm not just going to shut the door here. I want to learn. He was absorbent. He was willing to learn. He didn't think he knew it all. So he comes in. You know, the first thing that we see about Josiah here that I want to bring out is how is the reception of the Word of God. His reception of the Word of God is, 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 a, is a textbook for us, not just before you get saved, but after you get saved. Amen. It was uh, uh, it was able to affect him personally as he comes in and this and this man reads him the contents of the book in verse 11. The Bible says, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the book of the law that he rent his clothes. 
Thank God that he was in a place where when he heard the word of God, he did not just disregard it. It didn't just roll off his back like water off a duck's back, but rather it affected him so much that he rent his clothes and it affected him personally. You know what makes me a little bit afraid of today is how people respond to the word of God when they hear it. Because you know what? We've heard it so much. This country has been saturated with it. You have been saturated with it. You hear it. You can probably tell when I told, when I told you to turn to 2 Kings chapter 22, you knew what was talking about Josiah. You knew we was going to talk about the Bible. And you probably already got my outline already in your head, don't you? <laughs> Let me tell you something. The old story never grows old. And I'm sorry, but the problem with us is that we've ceased to allow the Word of God to affect us like Josiah was affected when he heard it. We should never allow the Word of God to just fall on deaf ears. What was so special about, what was so special about Samuel? What does the Bible say? He said he didn't let any words fall to the ground. Is that, is that Samuel? And uh, what was special about him is that he took the Word of God seriously. He took it seriously. When he heard it, it wasn't just, oh, I've heard that before. He didn't have a spirit of apathy. Oh, yeah, well, you know, I know what you want. You just want me to stop this and stop that and do this and do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes, Christians, that's exactly how we respond to the Word of God. And you don't realize that you have something sitting in your hand that the angels wish they could look into. Amen. You have something in your hands that the Old Testament saints would have killed to have. You have something so special in the complete preserved Word of God sitting right in front of you that literally there's nothing that should be able to shake your faith. You have the certainty of the words of truth sitting in your hands. And when, he, and when, when Josiah saw it, he rent his clothes because he believed exactly what he was reading. Paul uh, alludes to this when he's talking to the church at Thessalonica. And uh, I'll read you the, you don't have to turn there, but I'll read you the verse in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians Chapter number, uh, chapter number 2, 1 Thessalonians in chapter number 2. Let me get here real quick. I just want to read it. Uh, when he says, when he says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye receive the word of truth, or when we receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men. It wasn't just somebody up there blowing smoke. Right? It's not just me talking tonight because I like to get up here and yell. No, it's, it's in truth. It says, he says, not that it was the word of men, but that it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. The Bible that is able to get down and permeate your soul and your conscience and all your thoughts and is and able to expose the thoughts and intents of your heart. That's the word of God that it should effectually work in you when you hear it. It was able to affect him personally. He was able to accept it from a controversial source. This one's hard. I mean, you think about it. I, I mean, I'll, I'll speak as a, my own testimony. I've told you here before. I'm not, I, I'm not much for, uh, you know, ladies telling what to do. <laughs> I told you, I've, I've, I've outed myself on that. Could you imagine this? Here's the king of Judah. He's the king, Right? He gets this book, and he has to make inquiry. He's heard it. He's like, okay, uh, my bell has been rung. I need, 
some elaboration on what I've just heard. And so what does he do? What any good king does, he tasks those that are underneath him to go inquire in verse number 13, uh, for the Lord, uh, inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because of our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of the book to do according to all that which is written concerning us. Look in verse number 14. So Hilkiah and Ahikam uh, and Akbor and Shaphan and Asahiah, look at all these men. Look at who they go to. <laughs> Went to Huldah, the prophetess. Here's the king in dire straits. The kingdom is about to be destroyed by God because God's wrath. And he sends five of his best men, you know. And what do they do? They go knock on the door. And a man comes to the door and says, hey, how's it going? Sir, we need to inquire of the Lord at you. Oh, you're not talking about me, my wife. Huldah, uh, come here, please. There's some men here to see you, honey. <laughs> and they're like, uh, excuse me? Can you imagine these men going to a woman saying, hey, we need to hear something about God? I'm not saying this to beat up on women. What I'm telling you is, if anything, this shows you the importance of, guess what? You see in the Bible over and over again, when a man fails to do his job, God will use a woman to do it. There's plenty of examples of that in the Bible. That was so quiet. How come that didn't get any amens from any of you ladies in here? <laughs> when a man fails to do his job, sometimes you know what God will do? He'll take a godly woman and he'll use her. Amen. We tried it a second time and it didn't get much better response, so we'll move on. <laughs> hey, ladies, it's really important that, guess what? You stay the course, too. Because in the midst of this apostasy and the debauchery that's taking place, there was still a woman that got a hold of God and could get a hold of God. Amen. Thank God for that. Yeah. Praise the Lord for that. We don't need to be raised in a society with moms that don't pray and moms that don't read their Bible and moms that don't care about the spiritual well-being of their children. Hey, what to God, anybody could reach any of you ladies in here and you could show them what God said. Praise the Lord for this woman that they could come to in a dire strait. Somebody, even a man, I don't care who it is, could come to you and you could say, I know exactly what you need. I know what God said. I can get a hold of God. Some praying women that can get a hold of heaven. What a blessing that would be. Okay, and so, he, you know what, they come in and, and all of a sudden in the culture in which they live in, could you imagine how of a, much of a gut punch that was? You mean I got to talk to this woman about the wrath of God? And you know what? It was never even, it wasn't even brought up. You want to know something? Because when you're in dire straits and you need to hear something from God, it doesn't matter how it comes out or who it comes out from. He was able to accept it even though it came from a controversial source. Amen. Didn't matter how, he, how, how it was said. Well, I don't like the way you said that. I wish you wouldn't yell so much. And I wish you'd have you know, a, a, a softer tone. And I wish that you wouldn't do this and you wouldn't do that. Uh, how bad do you want the truth exactly? You're not like Josiah at all, are you? It doesn't matter how controversial the source is. You want to know why they hate Dr. Ruckman so much? How controversial of a source he was. And you know what they'll do? They'll miss everything he said. Everything he said, they'll disregard. Why? I don't like him. All right, stupid. Then you just keep going on in your ignorance. 
He was able to accept it from a controversial source. He was able to acknowledge a negative truth. We don't like that in the world in which we live in today. We don't like negativity. It's the enemy of good, right? Listen, I, I, I believe that there's a balance. And I also believe that a lot of times when I'm making a decision and I have to make decisions, uh, I like to hear the negative first. Don't give me the positive first. That's easy to find. Tell me the negative first so that I can make a decision based on the bad news that I'm getting. And in, uh, and, and the next few verses from verse number um, 15 down to the end of the chapter, it's Katie bar the door. He tells them exactly what in the world is going to happen to the nation of Israel and the wickedness that God has set out for them and the wrath that's pronounced against them. And it is like no hope, man, no hope. And so you know what, you know what Josiah does? He curls up in a ball and starts crying, says, there's no use, there's no use, it's all over. God's done, might as well just go find a bunker and hide in it. Wait for the nuclear attack to come. <clears throat> nope, that's not what he does at all. What does he do in chapter 23? And the king sent, and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And, all, and it says, And the king went up into the house of the Lord, and all the men of Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him, and the priests, and the prophets, and all the people, both small and great. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant, which was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before God before the Lord, to walk after the Lord, to keep His commandments and His testimonies and His statutes and with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book and all the people stood to the covenant. You know what he said? He says, guess what? If He's going to destroy us, we'll be doing right when He does. Amen. Yeah. Amen. He said, you know what? I understand that and I accept that, but I also know that the same God that is a God of wrath is a God of mercy, love, and grace. And if I can get myself right, you know what? There's no telling what God can do. Amen. Amen. I'm sorry to tell you, but I'm not just rolling over and giving up. That's just ridiculous. Why in the world would you do that? You know what you have to do? Accept the negative truth. Everything's not wonderful. Amen. Everything's not great. Okay? All right, now with that said, how does it affect you? How committed are you to the truth of the Word of God? How committed are you to it? Well, the truth is negative. Okay. And Paul says, I'm a debtor. To who? The Greeks all the way to the barbarians. You mean the highly educated ones and the ones that can't even barely say their name, bubbling idiots out in the middle of nowhere? Yep, those ones. The uneducated ones and the highly educated ones. And what's he a debt to? To preach to them the gospel. And what's the gospel? Two-thirds negative? Why? What does he tell you? He says, because it's the power of God unto salvation to save them that would believe in it. That's why. Because it's the only thing that can truly change an individual's life. Just the way that this, this truth can change Josiah's life, he knows it's the truth that will change and save everybody that's around him and underneath him. And so he doubles down on his consecration to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the, and to the Word of God. And you know what? That's how uh, he receives the Word of God. That's how we should receive the Word of God. Who cares how negative the truth is? we got a whole lot of positive in there too. Not only that, that is miraculous about uh, his revival that takes place underneath his reign, but it's the implementation of the word of God that really boggles the mind. It's not just how he received it. It's how he implemented it. 
It's how he implemented it. Uh, Notice, I'm going to give you a list of 10 things that he did in this chapter. And you know what you're going to have to, re- to realize? That the Bible tells you that, this all, that he read the, the, the scripture there in the 18th year of his reign. And then this all culminates in a Passover. And there was no Passover like the Passover Josiah uh, that was underneath the kingdom of, of Josiah. And you want to know something? That Passover was in the 18th year. You know what that meant? He wasted zero time. <laughs> I mean, he got, he got marching orders and he went at it. He didn't drag his feet. He didn't, he didn't pray about it too long. He just went out and he did it, man. And it took place. Listen, after he committed himself <clears throat> to the truth of the word of God and he received that thing and he made up a decision in his mind, you want to know what started happening? How about cleansing of religion? Looking for uh, verse uh, number 4, chapter number 23. The king commanded Hilkiah and the high priests of the second order, the keepers of the door, to bring forth uh, the temple, the Lord, all the vessels that were made for Baal and and, uh, for the grove, for all the hosts of heaven that burned them with Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried the ashes of them to Bethel. What you find out is he takes, he removes the vessels in verse number four. He takes out the idolatrous priests in verse number five. And then he removes the grove that is inside the house of the Lord in verse number six. He starts cleaning house. All the uh, ritualistic things, all the stuff that he was taught, all these false doctrines, all these false gods, all these things that just confuse the word of God. You know what he does? He gets rid of them. He starts to cleanse his, he cleanses his kingdom from any religious paraphernalia that has no business being there. He says the truth is more, is more uh, important than all these rituals and these stupid idols that have been adopted. He says, get them out of here. How about the cleansing of morals? In verse number 7, he break down the house of the Sodomites and we're by the house of the Lord and the women who wove hangings for the grove. You know what he does? He gets out there and he says, this is debauchery. This is wickedness. This is immoral. This is ridiculous that it's even here and that it's close to the house of the Lord is even worse. And you know what he does? It's no more, oh, well, they're good people and this, that, and the other. No, it's wicked. It's wicked. You say that now, and everybody just kind of tenses up a little bit when you say stuff like that. Hey, listen, the Bible tells you how they get there. It starts out with not being thankful and then turning the truth of God into a lie. Go ahead and read Romans. Go ahead and read Romans chapter 1. He tells you exactly how they get there. That is the end of a reprobate mind, is is to abuse oneself with their same sex. That's exactly what it is. And then the fact that you've got men trying to be women and women trying to be men in 52 different genders just tells you how far down the road you are that that's not even mentioned in the Bible. You say, what is that? I'm, I am, uh, he says, I'm cleansing my moral code. I know, you know how he used to think before the Word of God got in his life? He thought, oh, well, those, they're a little bit different, but, you know, they're just doing their thing and they mind their business out by mine and... You see that? 
Now, I'm not telling you to go mess. I'm not telling you that you shouldn't witness to them. I'm not telling you that you should go do something uh, horrible to them. But for you to advocate for them and speak the same rhetoric that's coming out of your government shows where you are spiritually. It shows where you are. And you're bowing to that stuff. And they're trying to change the way you think. Shows me how much you care about what the Bible says. Amen. We're Christians, folks. We're supposed to be what they call a people of the book. That's what we are. That's our final authority. All matters of faith and practice. And it doesn't matter who doesn't like it. He cleanses his morals. He stops thinking out the nastiness and out of the gutter. He stops laughing at dirty jokes and quits being a part of conversations he's got no business being a part of. He stops following vain people that don't profit him anything because it's against his morals, because it's against the Bible. The cleansing of the mind in verse number 8, and he brought all the priests out of the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests burn incense. It wasn't just that he took the priests out. It was that he then defiled their high places. What does that show? That means he's not thinking about them the same way. He's changing the way he thinks. He's saying, you manipulative bunch of highfalutin, highly educated people, you just think you can come in here and deceive people the way you are? And not only does he kick them out, but he then defiles their high places. You think you're so smart, do you? I'm sorry. And I don't don't like to get this way a lot, but I tell you, uh, the way you think... Man, it tells a lot about where you view this book. And when people mess with this book and people mess with your God and people mess with your Christianity and we just lay down and think it's no big deal, does it bother you at all? I'm sorry, but you know what? I don't like it when people who think they're really, really smart tell me that my Bible's uh, wrong. Ran into a guy the other day, and he's, uh, I've mentioned it before, and he's all Hebrew scholar and everything else, and he's trying to tell me that my Bible isn't true. No, I'm sorry, sir. I'm glad you're a PhD, and I'm glad that you can speak four or five different languages fluently, and you can spell and write backwards in Hebrew and everything else. Guess what? You're wrong. And I'll kick your sacred cow. Doesn't bother me a bit. He's changing the way his thinking's changing. His mind is changing. Cleansing of the home in verse number 10, and it says, And he defiled Tophet, which is in the valley of the children of Hinnom, and no man might... Make his son or his daughter to pass through the fire of Molech. One of the things that bothers me the most when I read my Bible is that right there. One of the things that bothers me the most is the, is the burning of children to Molech. When you understand what that thing looked like and the big uh, brazen uh, image that that thing was and how they heated that thing up and it was just a, it was a hands like this and they heat that thing up to just red hot and they place their baby on it. And watch that thing sizzle and they say, because it'll appease our God. It'll make our God happy to sacrifice our children to the God of Molech. You know what he says? He says, you know what we need to do, people? We need to uh, take some inventory at home. We need to, uh, this book here that we're reading shows us that that's not the way we should take care of our children. 
We have to understand that, listen, I understand some of you in here, you're not going to have the opportunity to put your kids in Christian school. You may have to put your kids in a, in a public school. You may have to put them in whatever you can. Homeschool may not be an option. All these different things. I'm not saying that either any of those decisions are right or wrong. What I'm saying is, is no matter what you choose to do, you had better be a parent and not just sacrifice your kids on the altar of Molech. My kids go to Christian school and I still have to monitor what they're getting. I still have to correct things that come out of there. I still have to be present in their life. Amen. I understand that, guess what? Me being a parent to my children is just a bunch of part of my ministry is what I'm doing right now. Amen? Amen. Amen. It's, just a part, it's just as big of a part as what I'm doing right now. And if this makes me forsake them, then why am I any different than sacrificing my children to somebody else? I'm sorry, folks. Listen, we got young parents in here and we got older parents in here. We got all kinds of kids and everything else. We don't, we don't offer our children a Molech. We're present in their lives. We take care. We, we take note. We listen. We talk. We educate. We pray with. We read to. We have to understand that they don't just raise themselves. And I'm not going to let just anybody come in and influence my children. I thank God for this church. My son Isaac, he's, he's, uh, we've talked about it before with him mixing up his letters and stuff like that. I was reading with Aiden the other night, and uh, they get their lowercase d's and lowercase b's mixed up. And uh, Isaac came, came over and he says, it's the front of the bed and the back of the bed. And I said, where did you learn? He says, Tim showed me that in Sunday school. I'll be honest with you, brother, I appreciate that. I've prayed for my boy all the time. And you know what? He goes to school and they work with him and they work with him. And it was something small like that in Sunday school. And that helped him. That's a big deal for him. It helps him read. Thank you. You want to know something? I would have never got that blessing had I not been involved in them and doing homework with them. Amen. We're not just going to offer our children a Molech. We're going to start tightening thinning things up a little bit. Why? Because we want to implement the word of God. We received it. Now we want to implement it. Have you implemented it in your life? Man, this is overwhelming. <laughs> but he did all this in a year. Amen. Uh, no, not only that, it's not all negative. He cleansed his home. But then how about the redirecting of strength in verse 11? And he took away the horses that the kings of Judah had uh, uh, given to the son and to the entering into the house of the Lord by the chamber of uh, Nethamelech, uh, the chamberlain, which was in the suburbs and burned the chariots of the son with fire. You know what horses are? They're, they're a resemblance of strength. You know what they did? They gave these chariots and they gave these horses to this sun god and to this, and this, uh, uh, this wicked ritual. And you know what he says? He says, you know what you're doing? We're taking that strength back and those horses that we used to try to, you know, make a show of force for this sun god over here, we can take those horses, we can take our strength, and we can go ahead and reinforce the armies of God over here. You know what I'm saying? All the, 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 the time and the energy and the strength that I spend in this junk over here, I can take that and I can bring it over here and use it for something profitable for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The Bible talks about the same zeal that you used to serve the world with before you were saved is the same zeal that you should be serving Jesus Christ with today. And he said, he's reading the Bible and he says, you know, he's reading this thing. He says, man, look at these horses we got over here. We have a lot of strength in all those horses. Why don't we put those into the armies of the living God instead? Amen. Sometimes you have to redirect some of your strength. You have to realize that you're spread too thin and you got too much of your strength and things that don't profit. Not only that, there's a reckoning of tradition in verses 12 through 15. 
What you find out is that there was altars on top of the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Manasseh had made in the two courts of the house of the Lord did the king beat down and break them down uh, thence and cast them to dust into the brook Hadron. The high places that were before Jerusalem, which were on the right hand of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had builded for Asheroth. And then you see all the, the wickedness that Solomon uh, uh, set up there. Asheroth, the abomination of the Zidonians. Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites. Milcom, the abomination of the children of Ammon, did the king defile. And he break in pieces the image of the groves uh, and, and cut down the groves and filled their places with the bones of men. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, the high place Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, set up. You know what he's doing? He's going back to all the kings in the past, even all the way back to Solomon, the wisest king. And he says, I'm sorry. I know that they had some good things. But let me tell you something. Just because they're in our tradition, they're in our lineage, we're not doing this anymore. I don't care what, how good of a reputation Solomon had. This was something he did wrong, and we're going to stop it now. Amen. Let me tell you something. Just because somebody does something right for a long time, they may have something that's messed up. Just Guess what? Just because of nostalgia, you don't keep it around. If something's wrong, get rid of it. Well, my mama did it, and my daddy did it, and my grandpa, and my mamma, and this, that, and the other. Okay, you better chunk it. Does it line up with the book? No, then see you later, bye. We get so wrapped up in this sentimental stuff. Well, that, those were his fathers he's talking about. Those were his fathers. Do you think that because of what he said about Solomon there, that he doesn't think Solomon was a good king? Oh, you mean you can't criticize one area in somebody's life, and then that means you have to be their enemy forever? No. Somebody can be wrong in one area of their life, and it doesn't discredit all the good they did. Amen. You understand? You have to have the wisdom to be able to eat the meat and spit out the bones, ladies and gentlemen. And if you don't learn how to do that, you're going to miss out on a lot of good things that you could get. So there was a reckoning of the traditions that they had, uh, that they had um, been participating in. And those things always should be under scrutiny. Because after all... A tradition is a tradition, and I'm not saying all traditions are bad, but if, so, if a tradition somehow gets out of whack and it becomes wrong, then get rid of the tradition. That's right. There's a lot of things that we do in the church house that aren't necessarily quote-unquote scriptural, but they're tradition, and it's good tradition, and you should keep them. Amen. But there are certain traditions that have no part, and they don't benefit anybody, and you shouldn't just do things because that's the way we've always done it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Amen. How about the fact that now that he's accepted the word of God and he's now implementing the word of God in his life, you know what he finds himself doing? Appreciating faithful men. Verse number 16, he's, he's going ham, man. He's going out and he's looking at the sepulchers and he's burning bones on altars and defiling altars just like the prophet said he would. And you know what happens in verse number 16? Josiah turned himself and spied the sepulchers that were in the mount and sent and took the bones out of the sepulchers and burned them upon the altar and polluted it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed who proclaimed these words. Then he said, what title is that I see? And the men of the city uh, told him, it is the sepulcher of the man of God which came from Judah and proclaimed these things that thou hast done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, let him alone. 
Let no man move his bones. You see that? You know what he's doing? In the midst of all this stuff he's getting out, in the midst of all this stuff he's getting out, you know what he realizes? He says, who's that over there? What's that, that, that title over that sepulcher over there? He says, what you don't know, there was a man of God that came through here years ago. And he prophesied someone's going to do exactly what you're doing. Oh, you mean he went before me and held up the word of God in a faithful manner? You mean that he came before me and he paved the way for me to do what I'm doing today? You know what he did? He said, leave him alone. I appreciate that man. You mean you know he messed up, don't you? Don't care. Don't care. You want to know why? Because without him, I wouldn't be here, even with his faults. Hallelujah, folks. You're sitting here today enjoying a King James Bible because some people came before you and I don't care what their idiosyncrasies were or their mess-ups or the way that they did this, that, and the other. You're here today because of them. And you know what? There's an attribute when you start implementing the Word of God in your life and you start seeing how it's affecting you and how it's changing your life. You know what you're naturally going to do? You're going to start to appreciate faithful men in your life that have fed you and have preserved the way for you and have gone before you and are helping you now. That's an attribute of implementation of the Word of God. Not only that, I'm trying to get through these because I'm going somewhere. There's a, there's, a, there's a nugget I want to get to and then I'll let you go. The encouraging of the brethren. In verse number 21 through 23, it's the Passover. He encourages them to, to, for the Passover. The details of that Passover are outlined in 2 Chronicles chapter 35. What you find out is Solomon, uh, he gets the Levitical priesthood together and he gets them all together and he says, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify yourself unto the service of the Lord like you haven't done in years. He says, clean yourselves up, get yourselves ready because we're about to have a Passover. One like no one has ever seen. And the Bible says that he sanctifies the people. He, the Bible actually says that he encourages those priests in the service of the Lord. And then not only does he encourage the priests in the service of the Lord, you know what else he does? He provides all the sacrifices to all the people of Judah. He says, and, and all, his high, and all of his uh, princes that were, that were underneath him, they, they furnished all of the animals for the sacrifices and for the feasts of Passover. You know what he does? He meets the needs of other people. He encourages them in a good thing. You know, when you start implementing the Word of God in your life, you know what you realize? You don't want to be down on everybody. You want to start encouraging people to go further for the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to encourage people to be in church. You want to be encouragement to people to do the right thing. You want to be the wind in somebody's sails. And if God's given you the ability to meet a need that they have, whether it be physical need or spiritual need or a word fitly spoken, you do that thing and you do it without any uh, uh, payment required. And you say, you just, you just put it on the account of Lord Jesus Christ and how good he's been to me. That's what we do as Bible believers when we let the Bible affect us and we allow the Bible and we start to implement that thing as it comes into us. You know what we start doing? We start encouraging the people around us. We was talking in Sunday school this morning. Paul is talking in the book of Romans in chapter 1 and he says, listen, I want to I give you some spiritual gift. And he tells you in the next verse why. He says, because when you get encouraged, you encourage me. He realized that the encouragement was reciprocal. 
And if I'm all the time, if I'm never investing in anybody else and I'm never using what God has given me to be a blessing to somebody else and I'm never the one encouraging anybody to get closer to Lord Jesus Christ, then what you realize is that doesn't come back on you either. Paul knew, he says, you know what I desire? I come to give you some spiritual gift because guess what? The encouragement that you get is going to come back on me and I need encouraging too. Every one of us in here need to be encouraged in a good thing. Some of us get low. Some of us get down and out. You know what? A phone call and a text message goes a long way. Hey, brother, been praying for you. Goes a long way. Remembering somebody's prayer request goes a long way. Hallelujah for that. Amen. And finally, you know what he does? He starts monitoring continually. In verse number 24, it says, Moreover, the workers with familiar spirits and the wizards and the images and the idols, all the things that he just spent all this time getting rid of, and all the abominations that were spied in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem did Josiah put away that he might perform the words of the law which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. He set a watch out and he started monitoring his life and his kingdom. And whenever something popped up, he got rid of it. He started, he started being more careful and more observant of the things that were taking place in the realm in which he lived. Ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what it looks like to implement the Word of God in your life. And that's exactly what Josiah is known for. And would to God we learn these things. I know it seems overwhelming. But do you remember when you first heard the word of God? Do you remember when you first got saved? Do you remember when God first started talking to you and how it was like he was taking this out and taking this out and you were happy and you had the joy of the Lord in you and everything else? You know what happens when we lose that excitement? It's probably because we failed to monitor the things that can start popping up here and there. And all of a sudden somebody gets a you know, a foothold in here and all of a sudden a wizard pops up on the backside of somewhere over here and an idol gets put up over here and we just didn't see it. But it starts to draw on that joy and it starts to draw on the peace and it starts to draw on the fruits of the Spirit. And before you know it, what is wrong with me? What happened? Where's my joy? Where's my contentment? Where's, where's the power? It's amazing how Josiah implemented the word of God in his life. But the last thing, and again, I don't, I don't like to bring this stuff up, but the Bible puts it in here for us to learn from. And it just goes to show me how up to date this book really is. Because the final thing that we see about Josiah and an amazing thing he was able to do, because you know what you find out? That this all took place in the 18th year of Josiah's reign, the Passover and everything. And that means the Bible tells you that he starts reigning at the age of eight. All of this takes place at the, uh, at the 18th year, okay? So there's 10 years that go by, uh, and there's 31 years in his reign. So let's just, let's just say 21 years. You know what he's been doing? He's just been living. He's been living. He's been the king. He's got the people. He's got the giving the sacrifices or doing this or doing that. And there's been time that's gone by. And we come to the end of his life and the Bible gives us an insight. Take your Bibles and go over to 2 Chronicles, if you will, for the sake of this last point. 2 Chronicles 
chapter number 35. Chapter number 35. He's got what we all know and love is the routine duty of living the Christian life. He's trying his best to be the best king he can be and keep those things that he saw back in the day when he made all these changes in his kingdom and changes in his life. He's trying to keep them at the forefront of his mind. And now he's coming to the end of his ministry or end of his kingdom here. And it was actually cut short. But the fall of Josiah is chronicled in, 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 in this chapter, starting in verse number 20. And after this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho king of Egypt came up to fight against Carchemish by Ephrata, and Josiah went out against him. You know what you find out is this king of Egypt goes to fight this king of Assyria, and Josiah's got no skin in that game at all. None. He has no business being in a battle with Egypt and Assyria in any way, shape, or form. Matter of fact, uh, he tells you that they send ambassadors. This king sends ambassadors to him in verse 21 saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commanded me to make haste, uh, forbear thee from meddling with God who is with me, that he destroy thee not. You know the danger of those of us that have the book, receive the book, implement the book, is that there comes a time in your life where Egypt starts getting riled up. You know Egypt's a type of, don't you? The world. And the world starts becoming in turmoil. And the saber rattling of war starts to echo. And the news gets turned on in Jerusalem. Feel me where I'm going? And they see that there's, you know, threats of this and threats of that. And all of a sudden, Josiah's sitting there going, well, I wonder how this is going to affect my kingdom. Right? I wonder what's going on here. And all of a sudden, Josiah takes it upon himself to entangle himself in a battle that he has no business being in. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no place for a Bible-believing Christian to be entangled with the affairs of this life. Amen. And the more that you realize that this world, the Bible says that God was in that battle and that Josiah was putting himself in the way of God and it was going to destroy him. Amen. You understand that? You think God is in all the stuff that's going on in the world today? Uh-huh, yeah, He is. And the more you think that you're going to side with whatever side you side with, you just may be in a chariot going to war and an arrow is going to pierce you through. Because you have no business in that war. You shouldn't lose a wink of sleep over that stuff. What is that? Those are two 
uh, those are two kingdoms that are fighting, and you got no business in that fight. And if God wants to take out Egypt, if God wants to take out Assyria, then let him take them out, and you don't even lose a wink of sleep over it because you got nothing to worry about. Why? Because your God's with you. Look at what he's done since you've implemented his book. Look at what he's done. You know, the problem is, is he gets himself all rattled up, and the more he watches the news, the more, you know, the butterflies get in his stomach, and he, you know, is watching what's going on. How's this going to affect me, and how's this going to affect me? And now all of a sudden, he's got a political opinion about everything, and all of a sudden, you know, he's talking about Putin, and he's talking about Jing, and he's talking about uh, chips, and, and uh, he's talking about, you know, uh, microchips in, in Taiwan, and he's talking about the, the economic crash, and he's talking about how much he's got to prep for food in case they send an EM. MP and he's got what is all that garbage stuff that's getting preached all across our country in pulpits and Bible believing churches? You know what he stops doing? He stops implementing the same same thing that got him to where he was. And all of a sudden he looks different. Verse 22 Nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face, but disguised himself. And now all of a sudden, when you listen to Josiah talk, he doesn't even look the same. Why are you, how come you look nervous? How come you look all out of sorts? How come you're so jacked up about this stuff? You don't even look like the same guy back there. Why are you acting this way? Looks, looks different. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Amen. You want to know why? Because when you entangle yourself, you start looking like they do. And you want to know something? It ends up costing him his kingdom. But there's something peculiar here before we get to the final thing. Look in verse number 25. It says, and Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. You want to know who that Jeremiah is? It's the same Jeremiah that wrote the book of Jeremiah. You know what? As much as I could read, it looks like Jeremiah was called into the ministry in the 13th year of Josiah. You know that? That's what historians say, whatever that means. But suppose that's true. You have a young Jeremiah before the implementation of the Word of God underneath King Josiah... And he knew what it was like with all that debaucherous stuff that was going on. And God was percolating something in his heart. And then he watched Josiah in the 18th year of his reign stand up and start just cleaning house. He stands up and man, he remembers what it was like when Josiah came and he got that book in his hand and he started changing things, man, and people started praising God again. And, the, and, 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 and what you find out is that they had removed the ark from the house of God. And man, when that Passover came, he says, you take that ark, you put it back in the house where Solomon had it. And he says, and we're going to start worshiping God again. And as a young preacher, man, Jeremiah looked up to Josiah and he says, man, what can we do with Josiah at the helm? What an amazing opportunity we have. And all of a sudden, Josiah gets entangled. Amen. And he loses sight of what really matters. He realizes he's more focused on things of the earth than the things that he's supposed to be worried about. 
And at his funeral, there's a young preacher standing there. And you know what he knows? The ones coming up behind him, no good. You don't want to know what the, and back in uh, first or second Kings chapter number uh, 24, you know one of the first names that's in the next, in that first, or next, in the next set of verses? Nebuchadnezzar. Who's he? Oh, you mean the one that took Israel into the Babylonian, Babylonian captivity? You mean the one that took him in? You mean the one that Jeremiah had to endure? The weeping prophet, not seeing any converts, and saw the, he saw it go from unbelievable revival to absolute lights out because of one man's entanglement. Who knows how long Josiah's reign could have been with what he was doing? Who knows what the difference in Jeremiah's ministry or how about Habakkuk's ministry or Zephaniah's ministry or Ezekiel's ministry or Daniel's ministry who were all contemporaries of Jeremiah. How Josiah could have affected so many people by keeping the main thing the main thing. What we learn from, what we learn from Josiah, it covers all areas of the Christian life. Whether you're a new Christian, whether you're a young Christian, whether you're an older Christian, you've been saved for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. You know what it tells us? It tells us the importance of receiving the word of God, not as if it's the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. It shows us, it reminds us what it's like to take a look at our life and the state of the realm in which we live in. And say, what in the world do I need to change here? Because after all, I live by the principles of a book that God gave me. And he shows us the importance of measuring yourself to that book. And not of any other form of measurement. Not of somebody that's sitting next to you. Not of of the preachers. Not of anybody. But rather, how does your life measure up to that book? So my question to you is tonight... Do you find yourself entangled? Do you find yourself consuming more news than Bible? Do you find your, listen to me, do you find yourself, when was the last time the Lord says, time to get that priest out of there? Maybe you catch yourself, maybe you catch yourself slipping in how you think. Well, I'll just leave them alone. They'll leave me alone. And they're really not that bad. And it's, I, I really don't care about, I, I really don't think gay marriage is that big of a deal as long as they leave me alone. And how come you think like that? Why do you think like that? If there was any point of this message that offended you, let me ask you this. Why? In the message in which, in, in, the, in, the, in the passage in which we're looking at, he says that there was nobody before him and nobody after him that turned their heart after God according to the word of the Lord like Josiah did. Isn't that the way you and I should be? Amen. How precious is your Bible to you tonight? You live in a world just where we started. You live in a world that's bombarding you continually with information that's trying to compete with your mind. Some of you in here, you don't even know how to assess your life because you don't have enough Bible in you to, to, uh, to offset all the other junk you got going on in your head right now. And you know what? You're blind. You can't see. The Bible tells us in the last days and in the, in, in the book of Revelation that you have eyes that are sick. And he says, anoint mine eyes with eye salve that I might see. 
The word of God is said to be medicinal. It's, an, it's, it's likened to eye salve. And what does salve do? You place it on there and it draws out pus. It draws out infection. It draws out impurities. It draws out those things that have no business being there. We should be more in our Bibles today than any generation in times past. Why? Because we've got more impurities and more pus and more junk and gunk and debauchery that goes in our eyes at all the times and goes in our ears. You know what we need to do? Church, we need to get back to that childlike faith that only a small, young, teenage boy like Josiah could grasp a hold of and say, oh, man, this is so sweet. Yes, it's negative. Oh, yes, it's negative. But, man, it's a positive for me if I can implement these things in my life. How precious is your Bible to you tonight? How much are you in it? Can you see clearly? Maybe some of you in here tonight, you know what you need to do? Come down here and say, Lord, anoint mine eyes with eyes, Sav. Lord, I've, I'm off balance, Lord. I don't have an, I'm not reading enough Bible, Lord. I'm not thinking right. I'm not doing right. Lord, there's some things that I need to get out of my life, and I can't get them out of my life because I don't have enough strength to get them out of my life because I'm weak, because I'm compromised, because I don't see right. Would you bow your heads for a word of prayer tonight? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you. I want to thank you for tonight. I want to thank you for this book. God, we should be people of a book, Lord. And wherever we are in life, God, help us to turn to this book in all matters of faith and practice.